Hello, this is Chris Attig from the law firm of Attig Steel at AttigSteel.com. Today's episode of the VA Form 21 podcast uh, is going to bring to you the oral arguments from the Court of Appeals for Veterans Claims in the case of Willie Johnson v. Wilkie, cause number 16-3808. Listen, this case involves some pretty complicated issues uh, regarding rating schedules, uh, regulatory interpretation, and some of the factual application of the issues at play. So we're going to go through a quick general preview of the case. Uh, I'm going to talk to you about the facts of the board decision and give you a preface to the party's arguments. We'll talk about the veterans' arguments on the panel's issue and then the secretary's arguments on the panel's issue, frame up the court's statement of the issue, and then I'll introduce you to each of the voices that you will hear in this recording so that you know who you're listening to. We will then go right into the oral arguments. You can find all of the information that's in this uh, podcast on the AtticSteel.com website. Uh, Just go to the VA Form 21 blog and look for podcast episodes. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes uh, or any of the uh, particular tools or apps that you use to listen to podcasts. In any event, let's jump right in and start talking about this case. It's a pretty complicated one. uh, So... Bear with me as I walk you through a pretty complex area of the law involving complex issue of, of successive rating criteria. So, little background. There's one and possibly more diagnostic codes for rating veterans' disabilities, which include what have been called, quote, successive rating criteria. This term has its origins in the Camacho case, and those sites are in the show notes and over on the VA Form 21 blog. This means that every level of a rating includes within it the criteria for the lower ratings. So to get a 20%, you would have to also meet the criteria for 10%. To get a 30%, you'd also have to meet the criteria for 10 and 20, et cetera, et cetera. That's the concept behind a successive rating criteria. And the rating for diabetes is the most well-known of the VA diagnostic codes that's believed to have successive rating criteria. And again, I defer back to the Camacho case from 2007 to give you a little bit of insight into why the court believed that the Uh, diabetes diagnostic codes were successive ratings. I personally disagree with that, but I don't want to taint this podcast with with my opinions at this point. In Camacho, the Veterans Court held that because the schedule for ratings diabetes uh, required establishment of successive rating criteria, that certain VA regulations did not apply. First, the court held that 38 CFR 4.7 does not apply where there are successive rating criteria in a diagnostic code. 38 CFR 4.7 says that where there's a question as to which of two evaluations should be applied, the higher evaluation will be assigned if the disability picture more nearly approximate the criteria for uh, required for that rating. Now, I mentioned earlier I disagree with the premise and holding of Camacho. I believe it is entirely possible to have a set of rating criteria which are successive in nature while still having a fact pattern in which the disability picture more nearly approximates the higher rating while not strictly meeting all of its criteria. If you believe that you have a BVA decision that refuses to apply either or all of 38 CFR 4.3, 4.7, or 4.21 because the rating criteria are believed to be successive, please contact my law office at addictsteel.com and we'd be happy to review your BVA decision to see if there's grounds for a possible appeal to challenge the court's holding in Camacho. That's it. In a later case, Pierce v. Principi in 2004, when considering whether diagnostic code 8100 for rating migraines contains successive rating, rating criteria, the court suggested that 
certain other regulations just besides the benefit of the doubt regulation uh, might not apply. And those were 38 CFR 4.3, which is the benefit of the doubt standard, uh, 38 CFR 4.21, in which the secretary expects uh, atypical instances of a disease in which all of the criteria for a particular set of ratings criteria may not manifest. In other words, they're envisioning that their rating schedule is not all-encompassing. Uh, the court found in Pierce that, that those particular regulations may not apply uh, when rating migraines if, in fact, they contain successive rating criteria. Uh, in this case, the one that we're about to hear the arguments in, Johnson v. Wilkie, the question arose whether Diagnostic Code 8100 for rating migraines did include successive rating criteria. As you listen to the oral arguments, I expect that you will hear the court's driving concern. What the court wants is a clear standard for when a particular disease's rating criteria could be said to be successive. And if those rating criteria were only partially successive, they want to discuss how the court might analyze whether or not the three regulations noted above would or would not apply. For example, would they only apply to the successive portion of a mixed rating? Uh, to only the rating levels that were successive or to none of the criteria. I think what the court fears is an overly complex analysis for evaluating whether the BVA properly applied rating criteria. Uh, under Camacho, it seems that the first question would always be, uh, in analyzing the board's application of rating criteria, whether the various impairment levels of the rating criteria were successive, whether they're partially overlapping or wholly independent. Uh, and in those cases, then they would have to decide whether 4.3, 4.7, 4.21 did apply or whether the veteran was entitled to any kind of uh, benefit of the doubt. I think the court wants to avoid that degree of complexity. Um, and, and I think that there's other fears that are at play here, too. And I think that hopefully we'll hear some of those uh, come out in the oral arguments. Moving to the facts, this board decision came out of the Roanoke VA Regional Office and the judge in that case, let me scroll down and see who our BVA hearing officer was, Paul Soricio. My apologies if I mispronounced the name. Uh, please let me know if there's a correct pronunciation uh, that I have gotten wrong. In that case, the board found that the veteran, Willie Johnson, was rated 30% for his service-connected migraine headaches. He sought a higher rating after pointing to some evidence which might arguably establish a 50% rating. The board refused to consider 38 CFR 4.7, and it did not consider which rating more nearly approximated the veteran's migraine disability, whether it was 30% or 50%, because the board found that Diagnostic Code 8100, which is used to rate migraines, contains successive rating criteria. and. If they are correct, then 4.7 would not be applicable under Camacho. However, the board did not cite to Camacho for that proposition that CFR, 38 CFR 4.7 does not apply to diagnostic codes with successive rating criteria. Instead, uh, the BVA hearing officer cited to a case called Tatum. Uh, the site and the links are all in the show notes. In Tatum in 2009, the court arguably in dicta rejected the expansive characterization of the Camacho holding to all successive rating criteria uh, diagnostic codes. So moving from those basic facts of the board decision I want to talk and give a little bit of a preface to the party's arguments and I think this is critical for understanding what you're about to hear. Neither party raised the issue of whether these three regulations apply to diagnostic codes with successive rating criteria. In fact, the phrase successive rating criteria appears in neither principal brief of either of the parties. 
They don't discuss or cite to Camacho in any of their briefs, and the Secretary alone makes a singular citation to 38 CFR 4.7, arguing in, in what seemed a little bit curious to me that the board decision is not clearly erroneous because, quote, there is a plausible basis in the record as a whole for the board's determination that appellant's headaches more nearly approximate the 30% rating through the entire appeal period. What's curious about that is that the secretary is using a regulation that the board found did not apply to justify the board's decision that it did not apply. So it's a little bit confusing. And I don't mention these facts to embarrass either party. Parties are free to frame the issues in their case in the way that is most beneficial to the client, and I can't say I would have framed it any differently. I mention this fact only because it's rare for the Veterans Court to seek out an unbriefed issue to adjudicate, and when they do that, I think it's a significant development that we need to pay attention to as practitioners. So as a result, in the course of the arguments, I expect that you're going to hear a bit of a struggle. You're going to hear the court and the parties kind of struggle a bit to understand and articulate how to define whether a particular diagnostic code's level of impairments are or are not successive rating criteria. I don't want to prejudice your understanding of the issues in this argument with my point of view. I just want to suggest that this might have been a scenario where the court could have waited until the parties themselves raised the issue of what constitutes a successive rating criteria so that that issue, which is critical and needs to be addressed, might be adjudicated in the context of a more clear fact pattern uh, and a history uh, of cases, maybe a, a history of single judge decisions finding certain uh, rating criteria to be successive and not. That said, let's take a look at the veteran's argument on the panel's issue. So the veteran argues that there is a difference between ratings which overlap. Different rating levels have some criteria in common, and there are other rating criteria which are successive, and each builds on the prior level. In cases where there are successive rating criteria, as in the case of 7913 for diabetes, the appellant argues that no analysis of the interplay between the three regulations, 4.3, 4.7, and 4.21, is necessary. But in regards to Diagnostic Code 8100 for rating migraines specifically, Mr. Johnson argues that the lower levels of the rating code are successive, but the higher levels are not. He points out that the criteria for a 30% rating for migraines requires, quote, characteristic prostrating attacks occurring on an average once a month over the last several months. He notes the criteria for a 50% rating for migraines requires, quote, very frequent, completely prostrating and prolonged attacks productive of severe economic inadaptability. He hypothesizes that it is possible the criteria are not successive because the terms for the ratings themselves are different. Um, the Secretary's arguments, I don't really see a clear dispute uh, from the Secretary's perspective. They did not dispute that the successive rating criteria uh, concept exists where each criterion for the lower disability rating is included in the criterion for the higher rating. Uh, the Secretary does uh, make one different argument from the appellant. He argues that the 38 CFR 4.3, the VA regulation governing application of the rule of the benefit of the doubt, is fact-dependent and can apply whether or not the criteria is successive, overlapping, or independent. The Secretary, in his briefs, does disagree with the appellant and states that 8100 for rating migraines includes successive rating criteria because they build upon one another in both frequency and severity, and one cannot fulfill a higher rating without fulfillment of a lower rating. Now. In their briefs, they say that, but in arguments, I, the secretary seems to me to take a different approach, and I will leave you to listen to their argument and see if you uh, draw the same conclusion or not. Um, 
and, and sense the court's strong negative reaction uh, towards the end of the secretary's arguments. The court framed up the issue in uh, an order seeking supplemental briefing because the parties did not specifically raise this issue. The case was assigned to a panel to provide binding precedent on the application of the concept of successive rating criteria to all DCs and resolving uncertainty with regard to Diagnostic Code 8100 for migraines in particular. I'm going to quote directly from the court's statement of the issue and say that the court will discuss the following three specific questions. First, what are the determinants of whether a diagnostic code involves successive rating criteria such that an analysis of the interplay among 4.3, 4.7, and 4.21 is not required to assign a rating under any given DC or diagnostic code? Two, how do those determinants apply in the specific instance of Diagnostic Code 8100 for migraines? And three, if the panel agrees that Diagnostic Code 8100 has successive rating criteria, would that conclusion create a conflict with the case Pierce from 2004 such that the court would need an en banc decision to resolve it? That's the way the courts frame this issue. Uh, I'm going to turn you over to those arguments from the court's recording in just a moment. You're going to hear a significant change in audio quality, so I suggest you might want to turn your volume down, and I'll give you a moment to do that in just a second. Let me introduce the voices that you're going to hear uh, from the panel uh, for the Court of Appeals for Veterans Claims. The first voice you're going to hear is Chief Judge Robert Ann Davis. Uh, the second female voice uh, from the bench you'll hear, or the second voice who is a female judge from the bench, is probably a more accurate way of stating that, is Judge Mary J. Sholin. And then you will also hear from Judge Michael P. Allen. From the appellant side, you're going to hear from Raymond Kim, attorney on the supplemental briefs and at argument from the National Veterans Legal Services Project, better known as NVLSP. He will have at council table with him Amy Odom. From the VA Office of General Counsel, you will hear from Sarah E. Wolf, who is the attorney on the briefs and at argument, and her deputy counsel uh, will be sitting at the table with her, but will not speak. You can find links to the party's briefs, both, both their opening response and reply, the court's briefing order, supplemental briefing, and the board decision itself on, uh, in the show notes uh, or on the VA Form 21 blog page at addictsteel.com. Now, I recommend you take a minute, turn your volume down just a little bit before we switch over to the court's recording as you will notice a change in the quality of audio. But enjoy the arguments. They're extensive. They're lengthy. Let me know if you have any questions or thoughts about them uh, after you've had a chance to listen to them. All right. Hoyer, hoyer, hoyer. The United States Court of Appeals for Veterans Claims is now in session. The Honorable Robert N. Davis presiding. All of business before this court is brought in here and shall be heard. God bless the United States and this Davis, to my right is Judge Sholin, to my left is Judge Allen. 
We're here today in the matter of Roy S. Johnson against Wilkie, docket number 16-3808. In January of 2018, the court issued a supplemental briefing order. Because we were unaware of any presidential decision establishing that the diagnostic codes 8100 is a code characterized by successive rating criteria. And as a result, this case was assigned to a panel to provide a binding precedent on the application of the concept of successive rating criteria to all diagnostic codes resolving uncertainty regarding DC-8100 in particular. We sought supplemental briefing to address three questions. One, what are the determinations of whether a diagnostic code involves successive rating criteria such that an analysis of the interplay among sections 4.3, 4.7, and 4.21 is not required to assign a rating under any given diagnostic code? Number two, how do those determinations apply in the specific instance of diagnostic code 8100? And three, if the panel were to agree that diagnostic codes 8100 has successive rating criteria, would that conclusion create a conflict with Pierce requiring an en banc decision to resolve? Would counsel for both parties please note your appearance for the record? Raymond Kim from the National Veterans Legal Services Program, Your Honor, for Mr. Johnson, and with me is Ms. Amy Odom, also of the National Veterans Legal Services Program. Thank you. Welcome. Good morning, Your Honor. Sarah Wolfe representing the Secretary of Veterans Affairs. With me at counsel table is Nicole Connell. Welcome. Ms. Odom and Ms. Connell, nice to see you again. Are the parties ready to proceed? Each party will have 30 minutes to present your respective arguments. Counsel for the appellant, Mr. Kim, do you wish to reserve a portion of your time for rebuttal? Seven minutes, Your Honor. I'm sorry? Seven minutes. Seven minutes. Okay. Mr. Kim, you may proceed. Before you do, I will, I meant to compliment both sides for the, I will call it, whether or not I agreed with your arguments or were persuaded, your briefs were crisp, fairly succinct, and I enjoyed reading them. So, for what that's worth. Thank you. Thank you, Your Honor. Chief Judge Davidson, may it please the Court. The Court should find that the Board erred in denying Mr. Johnson a 50% rating for his headaches for two alternative reasons. First, Mr. Johnson satisfies all of the criteria for a 50% rating under DC-8100. Second, even if the Court finds that Mr. Johnson does not meet all of the criteria, the Board still erred because under 4.7 and this Court's decision in Tatum, Mr. Johnson is not required to meet all of the criteria for the 50% rating because the criteria between 30 and 50% under DC-8100 are not successive. Let's talk a little bit about that, Mr. Kim. Yes, sir. What are the indicia of a successive rating? Your Honor, 
ratings or the criteria are successive when they are cumulative or they overlap. So, in other words, criteria are successive if establishing entitlement to the higher rating requires necessarily um, establishes entitlement to the lower rating because of the overlap between the two ratings. So, in the case of DC 8100 specifically, the criteria, we agree that the criteria from 0 to 30 percent are successive, excuse me, um, because there is overlap between the criteria. With respect to the criteria between 30 and 50 percent, however, we do not agree or we, those criteria are not successive. So, is there another uh, diagnostic code out there that you're aware of in which the court has held or the board has treated? Uh, as something being what I'm going to call incompletely successive, <laughs> meaning uh, as opposed to being like a on or off. Sure, Your Honor. Um, I, I think that the, the incomplete, incompletely successive, as you, as you said, Your Honor, um, does come naturally from the court's decision in Tatum. Um, so at issue in that case was um, the code for hypothyroidism, um, which is DC 7903, Your Honor. In that decision, um, the lower criteria the court explained were not successive. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, because a veteran could potentially establish entitlement to a 30 or 60 percent rating without establishing any of the criteria for the lower rating. So those criteria are success or not are not successive. Your Honor, excuse me. But if we look to the higher end of that code, 7903, Your Honor, um, if we look at the the criteria for the highest rating, um, what we'll see is that they are successive with the lower 60% rating. The 60% rating requires muscular weakness, mental disturbance, and weight gain. And included in the criteria for the highest rating um, are also muscular weakness and mental disturbance. So this is a case where, as the court explained in Tatum, criteria are not successive if a veteran could potentially establish all the criteria for the higher rating without establishing any of So, so I, just on that point, so because we never actually held that in Tatum, right? Correct. So, which is not a problem, that wasn't an issue, but what I'm trying to think about is whether or not it makes sense for us to uh, say that criteria or diagnostic codes can be partially successive. It seems to me that we're building a machine then that has much more, many more complications. Uh, in, in, in other words, an alternative approach would be to say if our criteria aren't uh, universally successive, that is from you know, zero all the way up to 100 or whatever the top percentage is, that we simply won't treat the entire di diagnostic code that way. Um, so why should we pick a rule that says, okay, from 30 to 50 is uh, successive, but 50 to 70 isn't, uh, as opposed to just saying if they're not entirely successive, then the whole rules about successive ratings just don't, don't apply? I think the section 4.21, Your Honor, um, in as much as it, you know, it recognizes that uh, in the case of any particular veteran, um, the, the, the schedule may not contemplate every symptom that a particular veteran may exhibit or manifest. Um, so to the extent that um, 
certain codes are written such that they are not successive or are successive, um, such that there, there may be room for the veteran to at times uh, warn entitlement to the higher writing despite not actually having uh, demonstrated all of those symptoms. It, the, as I, although I, I, would, I understand Your Honor's point, um, it would still be consistent with the, 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 the rationale behind Section 4.21, Your Honor? Yeah, I'm not sure I have a point, <laughs> but frankly, um, it's that I'm really, I'm struggling with the idea that once we create, uh, so, so there's a whole bunch of baggage that goes along with uh, calling a rating uh, diagnostic code successive. Yes, sir. Uh, certain things apply that wouldn't for, or don't apply that would, et cetera. And one way to think about this is to say we won't treat something as successive unless every element is, meaning that you go from one to two to three to four, and they all must be, and if something falls away, then we won't treat it as successive. Uh, and so I, I'd just be interested in your view about which approach is better in terms of deciding whether a diagnostic code is successive. Should it be the whole kit and caboodle, so to speak, um, or should it only be one uh, one passage, 30 to 50, for example? If I understand your honest question, so one approach that you're suggesting is that if a code is not entirely successive, we should treat, if they're not all, if they're not all successive, they should not be treated as Success, the code itself should not be treated as successive. Right. You know, which, which approach is more consistent with the uh, uh, sort of the, the way in which we, we should approach the diagnostic codes? Right, Your Honor. So I, I think if, if we were to do things that way, Your Honor, I think there would be a conflict, um, potential conflict with the court's reasoning in Tatum, as the court explained, where, um, where criteria are successive, if a veteran were able to uh, to obtain a, the higher of two ratings without establishing the criteria, for, for, oh, excuse me, without establishing all of the criteria for the higher rating, it would it would eviscerate the need or, or eliminate the need for the actual lower rating if the veteran was not actually required to um, meet all those criteria when the criteria are successive. So conversely, when the criteria are not successive to require the veteran to meet all of the criteria for the higher rating, um, despite the fact that they're not successive, would undo the meaning of Section 4.7, Your Honor. So, so I, oh, sorry, Your Honor. So, let, let me follow up with that, because I have similar concerns as, as Judge Allen does regarding this concept of partially successive. It, it troubles me, Mr. Kemp. Okay. Um, but it isn't the point here that if a regulation is successive, then uh, our case law has said there's no requirement to get into 4.3 or 4.7 or 4.21. On the other hand, if it's not successive, and as far as I know, this is a judicially created concept uh, in Camacho in 2009, Tatum, I'm sorry, 2007, Tatum was uh, decided in 2009, if I'm not mistaken. So um, it seems to me that uh, the Milton case, the Federal Circuit decision, talks about the criteria and, in fact, uh, indicates 
what that criteria is, building on some of the case law that we already established. Um, and there, the Milton uh, case in the Federal Circuit uh, referred to this court's reasoning in Camacho, right, and explained that the enumerated elements, and there, of course, we're talking about 7913, um, required for a 40% rating as part of a structured scheme of specific successive cumulative criteria. And I think, you know, following Judge Allen's line of questioning, if, if um, we're looking at a structured scheme, that's one thing. But if we're looking at different language in different sections of the same code, that... Um, to me might create a whole host of problems that uh, I prefer not to have to see you guys here every other week litigating over. Um, you know, no, you understand? Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Okay. So, um, from a, uh, from a, I guess, uh, administrative perspective, uh, certainly the, the secretary, the secretary hasn't specifically uh, expressly designated any of these diagnostic codes as successive that it's not in policy or writing any place this is a judicially created concept so what works better I guess uh, ultimately that's that's the question of uh, parsing this out or looking at it from a, a larger um, structural perspective well, Your Honor, if if the court if if, if we if we say that um, <clears throat> if we take the approach of saying that uh, the a diagnostic code has to be either fully successive or fully um, not successive, um, in the case of um, in particular the the non-successive or the non-successive uh, code, Your Honor, um, the disability picture would never more nearly approximate the higher rating because the veteran would always have to have all of the criteria for um, the veteran would have all of the criteria for the lower rating, but be missing an ingredient for the higher rating, Your Honor. So, well, I thought the regulation addressed that. Um, 4.7, I thought, addresses that. 4.3 addresses that. Um, so wouldn't it be the case, though, if I'm, I'm just trying to play this out, right, because don't take my questions to be antagonistic to you or to the secretary. They're really exploring this. We've created a set of, we created, the court created this concept of successive rating and then said in a successive rating, 4.7 does not apply. Okay. So, if we were then today to say, and guess what? A rating code, a diagnostic code, must be entirely successive from beginning to end in order to be termed, quote, successive. Then any diagnostic code that wasn't entirely successive, 4.7 would then apply because it's not a successive diagnostic code, right? So, I think that's what the Chief Judge's question is, is getting at. And, and it's back to this question of which one of those two approaches is better. You got up and you said, well, between 0 and uh, 30 is successive. But 
somewhere between 30 and 50 is not. So if we adopt that line of reasoning, then for every diagnostic code, we're going to have to be saying between 0 and 10, is that successive or not? Because there, 4.7 would apply, but then from 10 to 20, it's not quite. And so there might be great reasons to do that. And that's what I'm interested in as a tool for us to decide whether we should adopt that approach. I understand. I apologize, Your Honor. Oh, no, you're doing fine. It certainly would be much easier both for the agency and the court if the code is not entirely successive to treat it as non-successive, and then 4.7 would apply in those instances, Your Honor. If I might add, in some of these diagnostic codes, like 7913, it may be easier to see the overlap if the provisions build on each other. On the other hand, if you have new terminology that's introduced at 50%, like here, 8100, with no definitions of what prostrating is and other terms, it may not be so easy to determine if this really is a good candidate for viewing it as a successive rating. Yes, Your Honor. If I can kind of build on that a little bit, let's say, assume we can do split successive diagnostic codes. How is this one not successive? Doesn't very frequent, completely prostrating and prolonged headaches necessarily have to include prostrating headaches that occur every month? No, Your Honor. So the two elements that are common, and I believe this is what you're asking, are the severity or the nature of the prostrating attacks and the frequency. So the 30% rating requires characteristic prostrating headaches, whereas the 50% rating requires completely prostrating attacks. So when we look to the definitions that are contained within the M21, characteristic prostrating headaches are headaches that result in substantial inability to engage in ordinary activities, whereas completely prostrating headaches result in essentially a total inability to engage in ordinary activities. Isn't that just a higher severity of the same criteria? No, Your Honor. The two do not overlap because it is possible for a veteran to be totally unable to do things and yet never be only substantially or partially able to do things. In other words, so in other words, Your Honor. If you're completely able to do something, you can't partially do something, right? Right. Right, Your Honor. So we're saying the same thing. Yes, Your Honor. But that's what I'm saying. So isn't it just a worsening of the same criteria, like a higher blood pressure rating as compared with a lower blood pressure rating? Like, isn't it just a higher level of severity of the same symptom? No, Your Honor, because a person could start, let's say, a person could start with headaches that are completely prostrating and render him or her completely unable to do something and never have a headache that's of the lesser severity. So in that sense, there would be no, the criteria are not cumulative because the headaches are different in kind. Are you arguing only the severity of the headache is different, not the frequency of the headache? No, Your Honor. So the frequency criteria under DC-8100 are also not cumulative. So 30% requires 
headaches on average once a month um, over the last several months. Uh, the M21 defines um, very frequent headaches as occurring less than one month apart over the last several months or, or um, roughly twice per month. And it is possible for a veteran to have headaches of such a sort that he or she never has headaches that only average once per month um, over the last several months, Your Honor. So what are we supposed to do with the uh, M21? I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Your Honor. What are we supposed to do with the M21? Uh, well, so the DC-8100 itself, the schedule does not define, as, as I believe you pointed out earlier, Your Honor, the, 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 the schedule does not define these terms like um, very frequent or completely prostrating or right. prostrating. The, but the M21 does represent the agency's reasoned interpretation. And I guess, oh, and that's my question, does it? I mean, DAV says that it's not binding, right? It, it, it does, it does, Your Honor. Um, but again, the, in the absence of any definitions um, within the code, it's, within the diagnostic code itself, um, and given that the, I'm sorry, Your Honor, and given that the manual does represent the reasoned interpretation of the agency of its own regulations, um, the court should defer to those interpretations, or to those definitions. Are you, so, you know, sort of like, you know, be careful what you ask for because you might get it. I mean, you, you, um, you are taking the position that the court should, as a matter of course, defer to the M21-1? May I have just one moment to infer? Absolutely. The only... Only when the, the M21 contains an interpretation that's reasonable, Your Honor. Right, well, but that's sort of a... I, I'm not, you know, the concept of deference is a very slippery one, right? Um, but in theory, if we defer, if, if the M21 is the type of guidance to which we would defer under cases like Seminole Rock and Hour, um, then as long as that interpretation is reasonable, which is a very broad concept, then we simply defer to it. What's your view, though, about whether the board needs to consider an M21-1 provision? Because it's not binding on the board. So um, what do they need to do about it? Uh, well, in this case, Your Honor, again, because the, the, the code or the, the, the schedule itself does not define the terms, the board could have looked to or should have looked to the definitions in the M21. For example, um, although the board found that Mr. Johnson's headaches are not very frequent, um, the board also did find that he ha his headaches occurred three, at least three times per month, um, which is consistent with the M21's definition of very frequent headaches. But it would be okay in theory uh, wouldn't it for the um, for the board to consider the M21 and then provide a reason, which we could then review, for not adopting that approach, right? Uh, uh, sorry, Your Honor. Uh, yes, Your Honor. Yes. Well, well, that's what we're, we're. I mean, we're all struggling uh, in this case, along with many others, with what do we do with. A provision that is binding on the people who apply it to start out with and then all of a sudden becomes not binding for the board, but
but yet in theory when it comes to us, we have to defer to it, even though it wasn't binding on the adjudicator before. That's a weird administrative law concept, and so we're just trying to get your views on that. Sure, but to the extent that under the, but in that context, Your Honor, here, if the board had then addressed those definitions, there would actually be findings for this court to review, but in this case, the board simply did not do that, Your Honor. So because there's nothing else in the regulation that defines these terms, your suggestion is that at a minimum, if I understand you right, Mr. Kim, it would have been helpful for the board to refer to the M21 perhaps as guidance? Yes, Your Honor. Even though it's not binding, right? And then work from there. Yes, Your Honor. Is that fair? Yes. But if they had considered it and rejected it, and then it came here, it wasn't binding on them, but then you're telling us that we must defer to the M21 because it's the agency's interpretation. So wouldn't the board, in essence, really be bound by it? No, Your Honor. In the absence of, in the absence of any other definitions, it would be for the court to review whether, and I apologize, Your Honor, my time is about to expire in about a minute. So it would be for the court to review the board's treatment of the evidence, you know, in light of those, of the definitions, Your Honor. I would note that, you know, as, when we look to the definitions in the M21, the evidence, it does reflect, the evidence does reflect that Mr. Johnson's symptoms do actually meet the criteria for the 50 percent rating because his symptoms are consistent with the definitions as they're presented in the M21. And your position is that 8100 is not successive? Yes, Your Honor. Is it your position that it's not successive partially or totally? It's not successive partially, Your Honor. Okay. All right. Thank you, Mr. Kim. Thank you. Good morning, Your Honors, and may it please the Court. The Secretary and Appellant are primarily in agreement on the issues posed in the January 2018 order. We agree that the Court's decisions in Camacho and Tatum provide the test for determining whether rating criteria are successive. We agree that 38 CFR sections 4.7 and 4.21 are not applicable to successive criteria. And we agree that the diagnostic code at issue in this case, 8100, at least from the non-compensable to 30 percent ratings, are successive. We also agree that an en banc decision is not required if this Court determines that diagnostic code 8100 is successive. But you all were not able to agree to a remand, apparently. No, Your Honor. Because you're here. We are here. Yes, we are here. What is your position about whether or not there can be such a thing as a partially successive rating diagnostic code? Your Honor, the Secretary's position is that there can be. It is not necessarily an all or nothing proposition. 
In this case, our position is that the entirety of Diagnostic Code 8100 is successive. Uh, and I will go into why, but it, generally speaking, though, there, there very well may be uh, Diagnostic Code that do not contain in its entirety successive criteria. So I just want to explore then, because if we were to hold that or and not necessarily that we would have to in this case, right, because your position is it's entirely successive. But if we were to do that then, to play this out, then the board would be required, whenever it's using a diagnostic code, to really pay attention to the specific gradations to decide whether certain statutory or regulatory provisions would be applicable or not. So, for example, they'd have to say between 10 and 30, wait, that's successive, so therefore we don't apply 4.7, but then the symptoms get worse, and now I'm looking at a, dip a later period of time for the same veteran in the same decision between 30 and 50. Well, that's not successive, so therefore 4.7 now applies? Yes, Your Honor. Okay. I mean, because, you know, in any given case, this position might be better or worse for an appellant, right? I mean, you can't make right. that universally true. But I just want to make it, if, if we were to do that, that, that's an implication of the decision, which does complicate the decision-making process. Potentially, Your Honor. But the board, regardless of whether or not uh, the criteria, we call this successive, the board is still required to look at the diagnostic coded issue, look at the various disability ratings within that diagnostic code, and then look at appellant's factual situation, his symptoms, uh, whatever the facts are in that case, and apply them to the criteria. So what, what the secretary is getting at is, regardless of whether or not, as you noted, it was Camacho, and, and I'm sorry, Your Honor, it may have been you, Chief Judge Davis. Or both we're of often confused by one another. I don't <laughs> confuse the two of you, uh, except that I can't remember which judges one the, the words came out of. Regardless, um, it was the court that said this is a successive diagnostic code, this is what successive is. However, so while the secretary may or may not you know, write this up saying this is successive, what the secretary does do, or what VA does do, is they write a diagnostic code in a certain way. And by that I mean, in some situations, write it in such a way that the claimant is required to establish all of the enumerated elements to be entitled to that rating. So while that may, that may very well then lead to the conclusion that it's successive, it's, it's simply looking at the code, looking at the structure of the language of the diagnostic code. And as in this case, while the board did say, found that diagnostic code 8100 is successive, it looked to the conjunctive language of the code and determined that the appellant was required to meet all of the elements. And as this court has held, when that is the case, and it is successive, 4.7 and 4.21 would not apply because there's no question where, as to which is the appropriate rating when the appellant is required to or the claimant is required to establish all of the elements listed. So in this case, Diagnostic Code 8100 in its entirety is successive, including the 50% rating. And it's successive because you apply this court's decision 
in, articulated in Tatum and Camacho, which is that rating criteria are successive, where each higher disability rating includes the same criteria as the lesser disability rating. So applying that test here and looking at Diagnostic Code 8100, a veteran cannot establish all of the listed criteria for a 10%, a 30%, or the 50% rating without establishing all of the criteria for the lesser disability rating. Ms. Wolf, I, um, I actually believe that whether or not this section is successive is kind of a close question. Yes, Your Honor. Um, and and I, I, I think it's easier, as the appellant was arguing, appellant's counsel, that um, from zero to 30 percent, because the language is fairly similar there. What throws me a bit is, is the 50 percent and the lack of um, similar language and the lack of definitions for some of these terms. Um, so do you agree that the M21 uh, you would use or the board would use for guidance um, in defining some of those terms? No, Your Honor, I would no. not. No. Okay. No, the Secretary, uh, well, in DAV, the Federal Circuit stated that uh, the M21-1 is binding on neither the agency nor the board. Uh, and as such, the board is not required to consider uh, the manual or the definitions in the manual. <clears throat> So, so how does I mean how does that how does that work? It's a very strange thing, isn't it? That a rule exists for the first layer of decision maker, in which they at the RO are bound by the M twenty one, right? Well, Your Honor, no. That I mean, DAB held that neither the agency nor the board is bound by by the manual. Uh, so, so if the M21 says, I'm simplifying, right, you have to have five headaches a month uh, to qualify for being severe, um, and a person has documented six headaches, the RO adjudicator can say that doesn't qualify even if the M21 says five. Well, it would, as a matter of law, it would not necessarily be an incorrect rating decision. So, okay. Um, I'm surprised. I, I had not understood the Secretary to take the position that the M21 was not binding on the Veterans Benefits Administration, but um, that's neither here nor there, I guess, for my question. But we've got this thing that must serve a purpose for the people in the Veterans Benefits Administration. Yes, Your Honor. Right? Yes, Your Honor. Uh, but the Board isn't required to even talk about why that guidance in the M21 is good, bad, indifferent, not relevant. I mean, it would seem to me the board would be required as part of reasons and basis to say the secretary has said something about what, in this case, very frequent means. Wouldn't the board, in explaining whether something is or is not very frequent, have to at least wrestle with something else the secretary has said? Not necessarily, Your Honor, no. I mean, if you look at 38 CFR 19.5, it, it lists uh, what the board is bound by. Uh, the board is not bound by the manual. Um, well, let me approach this a different way then. So, so 
If I were to ask you, and I'm not because I don't want the answer, but if I were to ask you, am I tall, okay, and then you gave whatever answer you gave, and Judge Sholin had to determine whether your answer was right or wrong, or at least not clearly erroneous, she could not possibly do that without a comparator, right? Because if you in your head were comparing me to my best friend, the answer would be I'm not tall. If you're comparing me to my son, I am tall. And if you're comparing me to the average American height, I'm right on the money, although the older I get, the more I shrink, right? But the point is, the answer to whether I'm tall or not is relative to your comparator, and nobody can judge whether you're right or wrong without knowing the comparator. Here, the board's analysis says, well, three times a month may be deemed frequent. The board finds it does not equal very frequent. How in the world do we review that? Your Honor, the Secretary acknowledges that the board's explanation could have been a little bit more robust. Well, I've given you the entire thing. So how do we decide if the board is right when it says it decides that three is not very frequent? Well, Your Honor, the board is not required to provide a definition. The board is required to consider the relevant evidence and apply it to and look, apply it to the diagnostic code and the rating criteria. How did the board determine that three a month is not very frequent? Your Honor, it looked at the relevant evidence, and in this case the relevant evidence, as the board noted and considered, was three times a month. And it explained that while that may be frequent, the board did not deem it to be very frequent. But doesn't that beg the question of why? Right? I mean, if the reasons and basis requirement means anything, doesn't the board have to say the criteria says very frequent? Very is a term that is variable, and I find three a month is not very frequent because. I mean, doesn't the board have to give a because so we can judge whether or not its determination is clearly erroneous? Or a veteran can know what they have to establish. Right. Like, oh, I'll come back when I have four. Or should I wait until I have six? Like, how are they supposed to know? Your Honor, in this case, the Secretary's position is because the board did consider all of the evidence and where, in this case, explained, and while the explanation was it is not very frequent, that otherwise the board would essentially be required to define that term. And it is not required to define that term. But you see, that's my point. The board did define the term. It had to have. Because if I say to you, am I tall, and you respond, yes, you have to have defined what you understand tall to be to compare me to it. Right? The board had to do that unless it was arbitrary, unless it just said I'm going to flip a coin. But once it doesn't flip a coin and it determines on paper three is not very frequent, it has to have a definition or else its choice that three isn't very frequent is arbitrary. 
which means we would have to reverse it. Why then doesn't the board say, I find it three is not very frequent because this is what I understand very frequent to be because they have to have that comparator. They have to. Your Honor, the Secretary doesn't concede that the board's, uh, the board's R&B as to very frequent was inadequate. Uh, and the Secretary acknowledges your concern, but, but our position remains that it, it did not have to otherwise define it or, as you say, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, I don't mean to put words in your mouth, suggested that, you know, not very frequent um, because it was potentially wasn't this or, or wasn't that. Um, but, 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 but then even, to go to Judge Shulman's question, this yes, is very important. How would anybody ever know what evidence they need to submit, right? To know what is very frequent, right? I mean, if this if we remanded and you said and, and we said, well, let's see, hey veteran, give it a give it another shot. How would he possibly know what he would have to do to establish something is very frequent if the secretary's position is the board can tell me something isn't very frequent but doesn't need to tell me what very frequent is to it. I mean, that can't, I mean, that cannot possibly be right, right? And I'm not criticizing you personally, but I mean, that literally cannot be what the Secretary's position is, that the board can have a standard that it applies, but is not required to tell the veteran what that standard is. Also, the board did define cross-stating. Yes, Your Honor. So is that surplusage, or did it not need to do that, or is that better R&B? You know, I, I feel like the, the board was uneven in its discussion. Um, we can discuss whether they should have used that definition or not, but they did. They had something that they linked it to. Yes, Your Honor. Um, and I, I share Judge Allen's struggle of I, I don't know how I'm supposed to understand what the board thinks very frequent is to decide whether it applied it clearly erroneously or not. Um, and that's, that's three of us. <laughs> and Ms. Wolf, it, it's yes, almost right. like, you remember the Wizard of Oz, right? <laughs> um, it's almost like you're putting the board behind the curtain and the wizard is back there doing whatever the wizard is doing, but Nobody outside the curtain knows what's going on, so. I was thinking it more like my mother because I said so. Oh well, that's. Uh, <laughs> that's <all right. laughs> well, and the geek in me was thinking of the old adage of the chancellor's foot back in England, right? That a foot was whatever the big-footed or small-footed chancellor seemed to be. So I, I'm just, you know, for 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 what it's worth, I'm not sure this is the strongest position to be staking yourself on because it sounds to me like this is a this if. In my days as being a law school professor, I might have used this as an example of what it means to be unconstitutional, actually. Okay, Your Honor. Well, and the alternative of if the board shouldn't have given us more is that the regulation is defective. And I'm going to guess that's not your position. That is not the Secretary's <laughs> position, no, Your Honor. No, the again, from the outset, the Secretary acknowledges the, the lack um, that there is not as much explanation here. And, and you're, 
And Judge Allen, the Secretary is not hinging this case on the Board's R&B as to very frequent. Even assuming that the R&B is inadequate as to that criteria, appellant still, as the Board found, needs to establish entitlement to the remaining criteria in the diagnostic code. Right, but the Board said he had completely prostrating headaches, just not enough of them. And then later it kind of then said, well, maybe they're not really completely prostrating. So maybe he satisfied the other part of the criteria? It's unclear from the Board decision? I'm not sure I understand your question. The Board, in discussing whether they were very frequent, said that somewhere that he had three completely prostrating headaches a month, but that they were not sufficient, they weren't frequent enough. Yes, Your Honor, the Board also found that appellant's headaches were neither completely prostrating or prolonged. But one of the things about completely prostrating that was interesting is the Board said that one of its bases for that was that the appellant, an untrained medical person, didn't say completely prostrating and just said prostrating? Well, Your Honor, prostrating gets at the severity, and whether something is completely prostrating is not a medical determination, it's an adjudicative determination. And after the Board had found appellant credible to testify to his headache symptoms, including the severity, the Board did then find that he did not describe them, he described them simply as prostrating as you noted. Does that strike you as a real reason? I mean, it would be one thing if the Board had described to him what prostrating meant and what completely prostrating meant, and then said, which of these two descriptions fits what you do? And he said the first one, prostrating, right? But to build part of its reasons and basis on the fact that the untrained in both law and medicine person used prostrating instead of completely prostrating seems to, you know, send up a red flag about what the Board was doing here. Well, that was the decision that the Board gave, Your Honor. And again, appellant is competent to testify to that. And the fact remains, I mean, that was the Board's explanation, is based on, you know, is plausible based on appellant's description of his headaches. Now, similarly, Ms. Wolf, on page 8 of the Board decision, we talk about prolonged headaches. Yes, Your Honor. And the Board indicated that the headaches would last, according to the examination report, 15 to 45 minutes, and the Board does not find this to be prolonged. So it's the same question, isn't it? What is prolonged in the Board's view? And if we don't know what, as Judge Allen suggests, is the comparator, it's difficult for us to perform a review function here. Your Honor, in a case where, again, the Board considered the relevant evidence pertaining to prolonged and where the evidence was, 
one examination in October of 2010, Minutes Towers, and then as the board, as you noted, in its decision said 15 to 45 minutes is not prolonged. Given those facts, it was not clearly erroneous for the board to find that headaches of that duration are not prolonged. Well, how do I know that three hours isn't prolonged? I mean, that's what he was experiencing in 2010. Why didn't the board consider potentially staged ratings? The secretary's position is that, and excuse me, Your Honor, this may not be exactly the way I understand your question is, the secretary read the board decision as, in effect, considering whether or not staged ratings would be appropriate. Given the language and the opinion and the way it drafted its opinion using as potential benchmarks the- So no matter how long his headaches lasted based on the report or how debilitating they were based on the report or how frequently he had them based on the report, he never satisfied the 50% criteria. Your Honor, respectfully, that's not what the board stated. Well, didn't it say three hours wasn't prolonged, they weren't completely prostrating, although he said he couldn't do anything, and three was not enough. So that was the worst of his report, right, in 2010. I'm sorry, I misunderstood. Yeah, so irrespective of 2010 or 2012- Yes, Your Honor. He never satisfied the 50% criteria. Yes. I'm sorry to keep going back to this, but with all three of these now elements in the rating schedule or the diagnostic code, I'm trying to remember back to being a lawyer. And I'm thinking, you know, one of the big things is you have a trial and you have a little checklist that says this is what I need to prove. How would- So we know 45 minutes is not enough and three hours apparently is not enough to be prolonged. What would a veteran with a lawyer do to know how much I need to establish to show something is prolonged? Literally, how would they do that? Because it's baffling, really, about this, isn't it? I mean, seriously, I mean, you're doing a wonderful job representing the Secretary, but this is actually quite troubling because, I mean, you know, if I were a mean judge, and some people say I could be, but in any event, I would do something where I'd say, well, what about three hours and 15 minutes? Three hours and 30, three hours and 40, and I would keep you there because you can't answer the question either because guess what? It appears that there is one person and one person only in the entire world who knows the answer to the question I'm asking, and it was the veteran's law judge, and he or she didn't tell anybody. That cannot possibly be a proclaimant system in which then a federal court reviews an agency determination, right? It also seems to be encouraging veterans to just throw spaghetti at the wall and then keep coming back, and now I'm going to throw macaroni at the wall. Now I'm going to come back and I'm going to throw tagliatelle at the wall. So it's like, I know this isn't your, it's above your pay grade, we shall say, but I noticed your boss is sitting over there, and he can probably tell somebody that I think the vague criteria and the vague discussion, I think, leads to further 
um, appellate delays. Uh, and it, it makes me wonder, big picture, with 500,000 cases backlogged at the VA, why are you here? And you should take that back to your supervisor, take, tell your supervisor to take that back to his boss, and ultimately to Jim Byrne, who I'll have a conversation with about some of these things as well. Acknowledge, Your Honor. Your Honor, if I may, I, I do not feel I am going to persuade you on, <laughs> on this point. So perhaps if, I, <laughs> perhaps if I could pivot back to, to some of the issues. And I, I believe I understand um, how you've, you believe they may be related. But if I may go address uh, the questions pertaining to uh, the successive nature of, of the diagnostic code. Um, it, the secretary, um, the secretary heard appellant advance uh, what seemed to be uh, a slightly different, different test. Um, if the criteria are successive, uh, and I am, am paraphrasing, but if they overlap in such a way, but but the secretary sees no no need for the court to to really. Um, divert from the language that it used in Camacho and, and really Tatum, uh, particularly where the Federal Circuit endorsed that language, and that is, again, that rating criteria are successive if the criteria for the higher rating necessarily include the criteria for the lower rating. And it is not, here they do. Here, um, very frequent and, and understanding the concern about, well, what very frequent means. At a minimum, it is more than once a month over the, the last several months. It's, it's more than what is required by a 30% rating such that a claimant to be entitled to the 50% rating has to establish uh, the criteria for the 30% rating. Uh, similarly, with completely prostrating, if they're completely prostrating, it, it must be that they also encompass uh, characteristic prostrating. And so because a claimant can't establish the 50% rating without also establishing characteristic attacks once a month over the last several months, um, the criteria are successive. And this case is more like the diagnostic code that the court considered in Camacho diabetes than in Tatum. In uh, Camacho, the court relied on the conjunctive nature of the rating criteria uh, and found that for the 40% rating, the appellant must establish, in that case, must establish all of the required elements. Now later in Tatum, the court did clarify that and said, okay, yes, claimant still must establish all of the elements for the 40% rating for diabetes, but it is not just because of the conjunctive and. It is because the criteria are not merely variable. Uh, and so then the court addressed hypothyroidism, which was at issue in that case, where the criteria are, there is no relationship between and among the criteria for the rating uh, for the 30%, the 60% rating for hypothyroidism. They're independent of each other. Um, so here, Diagnostic Code 8100 considers a single symptom, the migraine attacks, and the plain language shows that the 
that the criteria are successive, the use of the conjunctive and immediately preceding prolonged. Ms. Wolf, let me ask yes, you, um, and I don't remember if Judge Sholin or Judge Allen asked this question, but in terms of administering this successive uh, ratings system, are, do you, uh, or does the sec is the Secretary's position that this is an all-or-nothing proposition? No, Your Honor. So you would subscribe to partial successive uh, yes, Your Honor. evaluations as well? Yes, Your Honor. Um, if I may ask, um, if we were to accept your opposing counsel's argument that the board should have utilized the M211 interpretation as the agency's interpretation for the number of headaches that they need to demonstrate, it said less than one a month or something like that in the M21. So accepting that position for argument's sake, um, would that undermine your argument that the um, criteria is successive? Counsel, your time has expired, but please uh, answer the question. Yes, Your Honor. Thank you. Jishalyn, uh, no, it, it would not. Uh, so if I may make sure I understand your question, hypothetically speaking, yes. <laughs> <laughs> if, if the board were required is it if the board were required or if? If the board were required to apply the M21 because it's the agency's interpretation. Yeah. Yes, Your Honor. So then, in theory, the criteria for 50%, the number of headaches that somebody would have to establish is actually less than they need for the 30%, but they have to be more severe. Um, Your Honor, I... I read the M21-1 definition it provided for very frequently different. Okay. Uh, with, with all due respect, if you can excuse yes. me just a moment. Okay, so the less than one month apart over the last several months. So less than one month apart over the last several months would be more than once a month. If they are less than one month apart. So if the, if the headaches occur less than one month apart, uh, the secretary's reading of that is, is it's that more than it's once. more than once a month, Your Honor. So, um, so that that would be more, and because it is more, uh, then then it would still be successive. Okay, thank you. Yes, sir. If there are no further questions, thank you. follow up on uh, some of what uh, you were just discussing. So uh, with respect to the M21, the board is bound by VA's regulations under 38 U.S.C. 7104. And the manual 
does contain the reasonable or reasoned interpretations of the regs, so the board is bound by VA's interpretations of the regs, if not the manual itself, Your Honor. Well, but that's, that's, at least writ large, that can't be universally true after DAV and Gray, right? Because we can't say that the M21 always binds the board. Right, Your Honor. I would note, though, in that sort of coming from that, in particular with Gray, in his brief in Overton, the Secretary did suggest that the board is, in fact, bound by the Brownwater rules under 38 U.S.C. 7105, which would be inconsistent with the position he appears to be taking here now. With respect to what we discussed earlier, in terms of whether a code should be, can be partially successive or it's easier just to say that if something is, it should be all or nothing, we do agree that the rule that I believe Judge Allen, or the approach that Judge Allen suggested would be the easier way to resolve the issue. One, and I don't mean to misstate the Secretary's position in any way, but I wasn't sure if, the fact that and appears, and I say this just to clarify our position, the fact that and appears in a criteria is not what makes the criteria successive. So to the extent that Camacho might be read to say that, this Court's decision in Tatum expressly rejected that idea that and by itself is what determines whether something is successive or not. It is, as I mentioned earlier, or suggested earlier, is the overlap in the criteria, whether or not establishing entitlement to the higher rating requires establishing entitlement to the criteria for the lower rating. With respect to the different elements of DC 8100 and whether Mr. Johnson actually meets those criteria, on the frequency prong in between the 30 and 50 percent, the on average of once per month or the, excuse me, the very frequent, the average is really a ceiling, Your Honor, and we don't, there's not like a headaches escalator where we sort of, we're riding up the escalator and we're hitting the different points and going from 30 to 50. As I mentioned before, it is possible for a person to have headaches of such a sort that he or she has them twice a month and yet never has headaches that are only once a month, given the nature of that particular veteran's disability, that are on average once per month over the last several months. With respect to... I don't think I follow what you just said. I'm sorry. So if somebody has two headaches per month, they're not having one headache per month? They are, Your Honor. Necessarily they are having one if they're having two. But with respect to 30 percent, it's on average once per month over several months, excuse me. So in theory that could mean that a veteran does not have headaches in January and February and then has perhaps three in March, so that that average is out to at least once a month over several months. But the veteran who has at least two headaches per month is always having headaches. So the disability pictures do not overlap because the veteran at the 30 percent level may not be having headaches in a particular month, whereas the veteran at the 50 percent level is always going to have 
Well, under the code, he or she would be having at least two, but they're always going to have at least one, whereas that 30 percent veteran may not be having any. And I think I'm going back to math class. But on that point, which is the relevant indicator for us to use to figure out whether something is successive on that? In other words, is it the absolute how many per month in which you've sort of identified that there could be a difference, right? In other words, somebody at one level could absolutely have to have a certain number each month, while somebody else could end up with months with none because they've got one month that's got a lot and we average it out, right? Or should we just look at the averaging component? In other words, because if we averaged the headaches, that would be better. Is it because the rating criteria specifically say at 30 percent once per month or average of once per month? I think so, Your Honor. It's that I don't know if it's necessarily the math per se. It's that the nature of the manifestation of the disability that the schedule is speaking to, they don't overlap because in one instance they may not, they simply may not appear, and in the other, the higher rating, they do. And so there can't be overlap if it's a lower level. I'm sorry, but if the M21-1 that you point to says on average are less than one month apart. So if you want us to rely on the M21, it also uses the on average language. So I'm not sure I see the distinction or the difference. I apologize, Your Honor. My time is about to expire soon. But correct, Your Honor. So in that section, G7F. Is it table? Yes. Right. Less than one month apart over the last several months. And even so, Your Honor, we're talking about a frequency of headaches that are going to manifest in a way that someone who is only having them on average once over several months, because that person can have months where there are no headaches, the difference between zero and one, Your Honor, there's no possibility of overlap between the two because at the lower disability rating there are no attacks in certain months. I may ask one more question, too. If we do not accept your argument that the board needs to apply the M21-1 because it's the Secretary's interpretation, does your argument that these are not successive criteria fail? No, Your Honor. So with respect to the severity, the characteristic prostrating headaches versus completely prostrating headaches, they are different. The very terms of the criteria are different. So they do suggest on their own that the headaches that the code contemplates or has in mind are different in kind. 
And with respect to, um, again, the frequency, very frequent headaches versus uh, uh, headaches that average on once a month over the last several months, um, even without the, the M21 definition, there is a distinction being drawn between something that happens only on average once per month versus something that's happening very frequently, given that that very frequently is clearly contemplating something <coughs> happening more frequently. <laughs> right, very frequently, Your Honor. Whereas um, because of the way that the 30% criteria are phrased, it is possible, as I said, that a veteran would never have headaches on a particular month. And so those symptoms would still not overlap even without the definitions from the M21. Thank you, Council. The case is submitted for consideration. The court will now come down to Greek Council.